What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to Plazolt's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their online website for takeout deals and delivery deals. Right now, they've got an awesome takeout deal. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. So today's episode... We're giving out the latest updates in the news and what it means exactly. First up, something that I never talk about, and there's a reason why. Yesterday was Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, the boxing match, and it was underwhelming, and that doesn't even do it justice. Let me just preface this by saying, I'm not a boxer, and I'm not even calling myself a casual fan of the sport, but with that being said, Like the last 10 or so boxing matches that I've watched, this fight was disappointing. I know I'm going to make a lot of people mad with this, but here's a pleasant freezing cold take fresh off the rip. So cold that it's boiling hot. Boxing for casual fans is dead. I'm sure that there were a lot of technical and mechanic stuff that I missed yesterday, but the fight itself looked awful. Both fighters looked out of shape and exhausted by the third round. There was an obscene amount of locking up and standstills. And see, that would be fine if it wasn't the biggest fight of the year so far. It was a YouTube actor versus a 23-year-old boxer whose undefeated record was against opponents with a combined 24-176-5 record. If that's some of the best entertainment that boxing has to offer, it's time to switch to the UFC which has more action, it's more organized, and there's actual beef and drama. The fights are actually entertaining. It's not just you swinging your meat clubs. You got to use your feet, legs, back, hips, stomach, chest, head, everything. It's a beautiful sport to watch. Check out the UFC if you want to see some actual fighting. All right, so now let's get into some major NBA news. And we're going to start this off with a bang. Damian Lillard dropped 71 points at home versus the Rockets in a 131-114 victory. What was crazy about his performance was the fact that he shot nearly 60% from the field and his true shooting percentage was 80%. Dame is having one of the quietest career years that I've seen in years. He's missed some time, but in the games that he has played, he's going nuclear. He's averaging a career-high 32 points per game and is doing it at an extremely efficient level. I think the reason that we don't talk about it much is because, one, he's all the way up in the corner of America in Portland with no real major media market, and two, because the Trailblazers are sub-500 so far this year and are out of the playoff contention as of right now. Now, that's going to bring me to my next point. Think about how good basketball is right now that this current hour, the Trailblazers who have a star that's averaging over 30 points per game in the fight to get into the play-in, and that's gotten little to zero coverage. Dame has to drop 71 points to get on the front page of ESPN, but it's not because anyone is disrespecting him in any way. It's because teams all around the league are so good that the media cycle is a truly revolving door. Team after team, I freaking love it. 
I'm loving the NBA right now. I think it's one of the best seasons that we've seen in a while. I think of a million storylines here, but here are just a few that I thought were just of note. The Jazz coming firing out of the gate and capturing the one seed in the West for a few games. Zion brings the Pelicans to life. Steph Curry and the Warriors struggling on the road. Kawhi and Paul George are finally back healthy. Jokic is having his best season ever. The Bucks are on a 15-game win streak. The Celtics were able to dodge a finals hangover. Kyrie to the Mavericks, Kevin Durant to the Suns, and so many more stories this year made me appreciate the fact that we're witnessing one of the best basketball seasons in recent memory. For years to me, it seemed like the regular season didn't matter, but now with the competitive atmosphere that the league has, almost every single game matters because so many teams are so close together in the conferences. The difference in a win or a loss for a team like Portland could maybe mean three, four, five spots up and down in the standings. You even have the face of the league, LeBron James, saying that this is one of the most important 20-some-odd games of his career at 38, seeing all the action that he's seen. When you say that to me, it means a lot. Now, on that note, I do a lot of critique and throw a lot of shade at people. I just threw it at boxing and Jake Paul and all that, but I've got to throw some praise. I've got to applaud the NBA right now. This is yet another pleasant freezing cold take, so cold that it's boiling hot. Number two of the episode, the NBA play-in games were a great idea. At first, it didn't look great because there were some teams like the Hornets and the Spurs that snuck in, and they had a couple of unwatchable play-in games, but now we've got some actual competition in the lower seeds. Right now, what's the difference between the Jazz and the Thunder? Not a whole lot, yet the Jazz are the 8th seed and the Thunder are the 13th. I'm going to have my eyes freaking glued to these games because a potential finals contender could come out of the play-in games. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings me quite possibly to the coldest Plaisance freezing cold take in history. I know this is cold. Don't worry. I'm just speaking out on an island. I know no one agrees with me. I will have you lost in the sauce with this take. But if things go the way that I think they're going to go, here it is. The Los Angeles Lakers are going to win the Western Conference this year. I know. I know. I'm absolutely nuts, but there is a method to my madness. And a lot of this take is strictly stipulation-based. There are quite a few of them, but I think each one individually is possible. What's improbable, but in my mind, the timeline we're on, is the one where LeBron wins the West. Here's the three major scenarios that need to happen for the Lakers to have a chance. Number one, and most importantly to this theory, Kevin Durant and the Suns will never get fully healthy. If they do, then this is washed. But I'm thinking that this knee issue for Kevin Durant is bigger than we know. Moving on, number two. Kawhi and Paul George aren't healthy come playoff time. To me, this Clipper team is the biggest threat to anyone in the West as an underdog. They have one of the best constructed rosters in the NBA, but like I said, it's nothing without one of their superstars. Number three, the last stipulation is that the Lakers specifically 
Anthony Davis stay healthy. If this can happen, then man, do I think that we're in for a treat. Since the trade line, the Lakers are 4-1, and one, and they're not showing any sign of slowing up. Like I said earlier, LeBron said that the next 20-some-odd games were going to be among some of the most important of his career. I think he's fully engaged in this team, and he should be. They have everything that they need for playoff success, okay? They have a paint presence on offense and defense in Anthony Davis. Two elite scorers in LeBron and AD. Perimeter shooters and defenders like Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Ruby Hachimura, and D'Angelo Russell. And they've got some great depth in Mo Bamba, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, and Dennis Roder. That's like 9 to 11 guys that they can actually count on this season. This team looks like a younger version of the Mickey Mouse ring Lakers. And I think with LeBron's leadership, just like the bubble, and Darvin Ham's defensive mindset, that they can go far in the playoffs. I think that they can finish the year 15-6 and six and get to that 7 seed. They would have to face a team like the Grizzlies or the Kings and then face the Nuggets in the second round. I think all three of those teams are regular season teams and playoff frauds. And the biggest challenge the Lakers would have to face is either the Clippers or the Suns coming out of the other side of the West. And they would most likely be beat up after playing a playoff series against each other. I'm buying in. So someone quote me in two months if the Lakers get eliminated. I probably deserve it. That take was freezing cold. Now that this episode is nice and chilly, let's move on to the NFL. A lot of tea was spilled on the exit of Russell Wilson from Seattle last week. In an article from The Athletic, Wilson reportedly tried to get the Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll and the GM John Snyder fired. You know, of course, Russell Wilson obviously vehemently denied these claims. After listening to the interview of one of the authors of the article, Mike Sando from The Athletic, the purpose of this article was missed. The article gathered a whole lot of information on the past three years of Russell Wilson through it all. The Let Russ Cook era, his hand injury in Seattle, the trade itself, Danger Russ, Broncos country, let's ride. But to me, most importantly in this story that was mentioned was his office on the second floor of the Broncos facility where executives were housed and staffed. This just goes to emphasize the purpose of the article in saying there is a massive disconnect between Russell Wilson and the rest of the Broncos roster. It led to a lot of disrupting disturbances and frustrations on the field, which easily boiled over into off the field problems in the media and in the locker room. And now there is no Nathaniel Hackett. There's no scapegoat. There's only one person left to point the finger at, and that's Mr. Danger Witch himself, Russell Wilson. Now you're bringing in a Hall of Fame coach to fix the problem who no one has a bad word to say about. The Legion of Boom and other Russell Wilson teammates have turned their backs on him and suggested things like Russ's ego was too high and he never meshed well in a locker room. It's going to be on him and him alone to right the wrongs, even if there are no wrongs to be right. The media and most likely his teammates in Denver will be looking at his every move under a microscope. Personally, I think he'll get it together. It's hard not to be humble after what just happened last year to him. Trust me, I've been through something along, not along those lines of having a bad season, but being humbled, it's hard not to be humble after being humbled. 
Russell Wilson went from being a borderline first ballot Hall of Famer to having his Hall of Fame status questioned. To me, his career, reputation, and possibly his future in the league are in the balance this season. And it has a lot to do with just Russell Wilson himself. The Broncos have the benefit of having a last play schedule. But other than that, they have to play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and maybe Aaron Rodgers in the division, which means that's six extremely losable games. And there's probably another four to five on their schedule somewhere. It's going to be a tough season for Mr. Danger Russ, and the pressure is all on him. Now, that being said, all that drama, there were tons more drama that was going down in Washington. There's three major events that have happened back to back to back, and it's not looking good for Eric Bieniemy's first year as offensive coordinator. For starters, it was all positive with Bieniemy landing in D.C. The now commander's offensive coordinator crushed his press conference, his interviews, and even defied his unnamed anonymous cowardly critics in the NFL front offices across the league who said he was not a good interview. He even handled reports of criticism from a former disgruntled player, LaShawn McCoy, with complete and utter grace. But from there, the bad press began. First, Jeff Bezos was blocked by Dan Schneider, the current owner of the Commanders, from being able to bid on purchasing the team. Yet another huge blow to a fan base that has been through way too much. But last but not least, they released Carson Wentz which in my opinion is a good thing, but it's just a painful, painful reminder of how dysfunctional this team is, has been, and probably will be for years. Now, every question but the coaching staff is up in the air and the commanders don't have a lot of draft capital or cap space to solve those problems. God bless you if you're a commanders fan. I mean, you've been through having your name be a a racist name to no name, to the football team. Now you're the commanders and you've got like a pig as your mascot. Oh, brother, just give me a break if I'm a commanders fan. My goodness. Shout out to the Washington fans. They've been through enough. Someone please just give them a new owner. Now that being said, let's hop into the realm of college football and talk about the ever-evolving landscape of the sport. In the latest, Florida State's athletic director, Michael Alford, said what everyone is thinking. Teams in the ACC and other smaller conferences could fall behind by as much as $30 million a year in revenue. During a board meeting, Alford said that FSU draws 70% higher viewership ratings than the average ACC school. FSU and Clemson make up over 50% of the average viewership in the ACC and represent 24.5% of the media agreement that the ACC has. However, the Seminoles only receive 7% of the conference revenue, which puts them way behind the ball with other conferences. To put it plain in numbers, FSU is receiving about $42 million a year in revenue, while the average Big Ten and SEC school are in the $70 to $80 million range. Like I said, Alfred is pointing out a problem that I've been saying for months now. College football is converging to one super conference, and it's all to do with money. Take this on for size, and let's look at the numbers over a 10-year scale. 
if FSU makes $42 million a year and Ole Miss makes $76 million a year, that's a $340 million difference over 10 years. And it will basically make programs in the Big 12, ACC, and Pac-12 like Clemson, FSU, Oregon, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, et cetera, et cetera, irrelevant on a national scale. Imagine a 65-7 to Georgia TCU blowout game nearly every time the SEC or the Big Ten top dogs play someone in the Pac-12 or other conferences. The whole concept of consolidation of power in conferences is completely financially based. They're trying to take all the money and bring it in for themselves. Can you blame them? Not really because that's what really everyone does in life, but it's for the good of the game. Clemson and FSU are actively either trying to leave the ACC or get more money from the ACC. Imagine if they leave. What team is watchable in the ACC to the casual fan? No one. There's top-tier football, and then there's everything else, and everyone outside the bubble is trying to get in the bubble. But what good does that provide for the league, for college football as a whole? In my opinion, it provides zero good and comes as a major detriment to athletes not in these programs. There will be scholarships, less money, and overall less opportunities for student athletes to make their way through college by playing a game that they love. I understand that in the SEC it just means more, but that shouldn't come at a cost of half the college football world. Now that, my friends, is going to be the end of Plaisant's podcast for today. Make sure you hit that follow, that like, that subscribe button on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, Thank you all so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.